I'm Doran Hart and I'm delighted to welcome everyone to the Lakeside Hotel Killaloo for the latest in our Super Rates podcast brought to you by Sportstock.ie. Once again, we would like to thank our sponsors ProGolf.ie, Central Truck and PlantRepairs.com and we're delighted to be joined in person by Paul Hogan and Patricia Bulger from GemEvents.ie. We were here in a superb location and tonight we have an exceptional lineup for you for our coaching-based podcast. I am joined by resident anchor and legend that is Sean Ogahalpine. Sean Og. Doran, how are you? Great, now. And Valerie, he- Valerie Wheeler, who's my co-host tonight, she replaces Sean, o- Sean Shane Curran, sorry, should I say, and she's a much prettier version of Shane, I'd like to say. <laughs> totally agree with you. <laughs> Shane, you're, Shane, you're finished, you're gone, you're ditched. Sorry, Shane. <laughs> we are also joined by uh, Tipperary sharpshooter uh, Jason Ford. Um, Jason, tough week for you. How are you doing? Yeah, tough week. Um, disappointing one, but uh, I suppose we just have to get up and get on with it now. It has, it has happened, so we'll put it behind us. Yeah, I know. I can ju- just imagine. Um, it's probably a hard pill to swallow, especially the way you played over the probably the last three weeks. You hung in there for as long as you could. Probably just ran out a bit of steam at the end. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, um, I suppose to come back in the Cork game and the Waterford game from where we were didn't look likely. So we kind of we left it till t- t- the very last game. We, we stayed going, but unfortunately it wasn't to be in, in that sport. I'm afraid, isn't it? Yeah, great stuff. And uh, Valerie will be asking you a few more questions later on about that. We're delighted to have Andrew Fahey join us here, fresh from Clare Training. Um, Andrew, I suppose you're, you're known for having a huge passion for coaching. Um, just with the Clare setup, um, is it probably something that I wanted to know? It's unusual to have um, a joint managers in this day and age in modern county football. You have Donald Maloney and Jerry O'Connor. How do the dynamics of uh, probably a training session with, with, with Clare work? Well, they, they kind of complement each other pretty well. So you have some that deal with the media. They kind of share out the responsibility, really, to be honest. So some will say, they wouldn't really coach themselves they'd have three or four kind of coaches with them probably like every setup you know so they take we'll say a huge amount of planning goes into I think coaching now and management and everything I only I can only imagine it could be something like 70 80 hours a week now for a management team to sit down realistically it's you know there's a lot of time it's very very time consuming and I think you kind of only maybe really appreciate it when you go into it yourself you know some players I'd be thinking of be saying yeah we go in and we do what we have to do when you leave but I think when you have um, a management team and they're putting in that many hours, um, it, it's just the breakdown of it, we'll say. like So you'd have some that would start to warm up an S&C like everybody. Then one would take a drill, another would take a drill. So you try and keep the session moving as much as you can. So we'd have three coaches in an S&C, pretty kind of similar, I'd say, to everybody else. And as regards the rest of your backup team, um, how does that work? Have you many people involved, I suppose, like any other uh, inter-county setup? You have three or four lads, uh, others involved in that? Yeah, look like like everything else, I suppose. Stats guys, you know, and water carriers, hurley carriers, all of those go. I think uh, I think huge credit goes to a lot of the guys that will say would do the jerseys and that are doing all of that kind of work. I'd be f- firm believer of that they get an awful, they do an awful lot that goes unnoticed. Um, you know, so great credit goes to guys like that. Like so, look at any one management team, there could be up to twenty, and then there's probably about ten you don't even know about. You know, possibly in the stand. Yeah, no, I certainly agree with you. And then you see Dublin rolling out, and they might have another ten for Lord knows for everyone else. Sean O, can you see the benefit of uh, joint managers, or do you think that there should be one man at the helm to maybe um, maybe suffer the consequences if something goes wrong, and then be there for, uh, praise if something goes right? Yeah, I'd imagine if it's if it's something if it's working, it works well, and if it's not, well then. Ultimately, who's who's the main gaffer here? Like, you know, kind of. So, uh, as long as Clear continue to do, do well, I don't think it'll be a huge issue, or it'll come under, you know, the microscope. But like, if 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 Clear happen to be in trouble later on in the year, you know, you might have questions, kind of ask. Um, usually, in a scenario like that, Andrew, like you're probably, I'm, I'm trying to figure out who's the good cop, bad cop in that in that partnership. Who's the guy? Yeah, uh, who's the who's the guy that does the the rollicking and the uh, and who's the guy yeah. like that uh, puts the armor on the shoulder, or, or or do both of them take? Those both roles simultaneously kind of. No, rhetorical question, yeah. I don't hear you asking any questions about Jan Myler now, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> what's, the, what's, the se- what's the secret of Cork like? Uh, I know, look, I think both of them have got great qualities, you know, and they, they, they complement each other very, very well, I must say, you know. So, look, they come from running huge businesses and they're big, they're big kind of, you know, in big companies. So, they have got those skills, like as you said, they can both play both roles, and that's not. Yeah. That's no word of a lie. That's what they do. And like, look at in fairness, they're the one thing I'd say for the two of them is they're definitely always looking out for you. They're checking with you, and you know, make sure everything is okay. And look at it's it's a, it's a very very good thing to have. That is that is a good thing to have, definitely. Well, I, it's worked for them at under twenty one. 
because they've had huge success, you know, uh, as core managers at 21, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Clare won three 21s where they were at the helm. And if I'm not mistaken, they had a lot of those 21 players even at a younger age again when they were starting off as 17 or, or going into minors. So um, it is a partnership that has worked, you know, because um, um, obviously if... If it if it didn't work back then, do you know how you expected to to get it to work now? Personally, if you were to pick yourself, I know you're involved last year's in the twelves. This year, minor and senior, aren't you? Yeah, for my troubles. Yeah. yeah. Kinda <laughs> <laughs> but like with the youngers, I suppose obviously a sole person would be fine. But would you personally yourself prefer to have the one? I I, I would I, I would prefer to be like to see just them. yeah one person at the helm too many voices can be you might get in the mixed messages do you know what if one is telling you one the other's telling you another that can't be good for a player either which i think the lads are like you know i uh, like i don't think i don't think that jury will say something in the dress room that don't is Going to say something else. Like against that or not. So I'd imagine all that discussion is done as part of the preparation. As Andrew has said, like in the many hours, like long before, like kind of the lads hit the dress room. So um, uh, I, I, I think they're pretty much in unison, like the, the messages that go out. Um, uh, but for me, ultimately, in the dress room, boys don't take kind of one guy that you want to see there. So. Um, that's just my preference. Jason might have a different preference. Yeah. Obviously, Andrew's working on under that regime, which seems to be working well. So um, you're not receiving mixed messages, no? No, definitely not. No, no, no. I keep uh, what I, what I hear. I take on board yeah. and look at. I as I said, they, they both they both communicate with me anyway. And they, as I said, the partnership seems to work very well. Like Dave, as as you've said, they've had most of those guys since they were actually under fourteen. You know, so they know those lads inside out. So, and it's as I said, like with the majority of turnover of players now, um, I suppose Donald especially did an extra year or two on his own as twenty-one manager. So he would have incorporated another maybe thirty okay. guys that maybe Jerry wouldn't have seen. So, you know, throughout the county, I suppose they've nearly mixed with nearly them all. Maybe I think when they came on, it was something like only four players they hadn't kind of. I'd say really kind of got involved with like so it was just kind of to marry the relationship really back again just at a higher level that's the thing like so yeah Jason yeah. what about yourself how you've have you ever trained under two people above you or no it's not it's not something that I come across so I suppose until you're in that situation you're, you're probably not going to know but as led to already said it's working for me it's working for me now so um, communicating and things you want to find and, and I don't see any problem with it probably work even maybe to, to your benefit because there's two people you can actually go and talk to but it is the first it is the first partnership that I've seen in a hurling setup. Like uh, if you if you can recall, Dona, I remember uh, Eugene McKenna and Ark McRory. Remember they did it with Tyrone back in the nineties, zero zeros. Jeez, you're going back a long way. Do you know what I mean? I haven't seen Jason, can you remember can I Andrew can you remember a joint partnership? I remember, I remember two. Ma I remember one county having two different managers in the one summer. Okay. Babs got the road, and then Michael Bond came in, and then he finished off the job. And off he won the all Ireland that year uh, in nineteen ninety eight. And show my age here, lads. For the joint managers in Mayo there recently. I know they only they only did a year. Um, oh, that's right. And the ball. You're they right. Were for, they were there for a stint, and look at him. Mind have ended the best, but uh, you know, I, I think that. Look at. I think. It, it probably boils down to at the end of the day the group of players that you have yeah. with, look at that uh, you can have a lot of guys over teams and uh, you know as I said probably no different uh, Tipperary when Eamon O'Shea left Mick Ryan was kind of the man to come in so look at it was just a, a transition like both, both sets of guys had probably worked with Tipperary for I don't know maybe six seven years was it Mick is involved for since that, like you know, so it's it's it's. I suppose that a lot of a lot of players in Tipperary probably would have worked between Eamon O'Shea and Mike Ryan as well. I'd say that the amount of players that he probably had working with him was probably in the high thirties as well. If you look at who you've probably had, and maybe some guys obviously drop off, and you know, new guys added to the panel again. So, 
Yeah, great stuff. And I suppose the only reason it can work, I think, like the situation with the two lads, is that if their manager from take them from the under 40 and they know each other inside out, I think it's probably, if the two lads are put together, I don't think it has the dynamics to work. I suppose moving on to that, I suppose we're here to talk a small bit about coaching. I suppose um, I'm a primary school teacher myself, and I think, especially in big towns, um, Andrew, the, there's a huge competition from the likes of rugby and soccer. Um, how do you see, probably, um, the benefit, or how do you see people uh, encouraging their children to choose um, GEA over the likes of them sports or how can we go about it uh, as, as parents and as probably as teachers do you think? Yeah to be honest that's a kind of a sticky topic I think but when you're dealing back I suppose as far as primary school I this is just my belief no people other people obviously have a different member of the audience does deal well there in schools as well like so um, I would honestly say that I think that while while they're young and they're able they should definitely be able to play as many sports as possible tough on the parents I know going between six and seven different diaries maybe but like it's very very tough to tell a young fella at 12 you can't do this or you can't do that you know I think you you try and I, I, I'm a firm believer you try and let them see it themselves maybe down the road like look at I think there's, an, there's a kind of a club made of mine Brendan Vogler was telling me that they have a they have a guy in Flannans he's actually good at rugby uh, Gaelic football and hurling but apparently the rugby kind of looking at him and like I suppose the chances in rugby I suppose maybe from where we are out around here you might get maybe one in maybe 30 or 40 guys that could make it to yeah. Munster and best of luck to them if they do but I think somewhere along the line at around 16, 17 my firm belief is that the kid will see himself or the teenager will see himself that yeah do you know what I have a great chance here but maybe I'm going to give this a break I'm going to give this a go like so I, I, I would honestly think that I don't think any parent or anybody should be telling them not to play sport you know maybe at a young age uh, but I honestly believe that the further down it gets the decision will come themselves it's like choosing possibly honours and past mets like you know you're, no, you're probably not going to make it <laughs> if, if it gets near the exam time do you know but uh, like I, I, I would firmly believe that the, that the teenager should probably choose themselves and look at as it comes down along they probably have one person, probably no different to myself or yourself, they'd always ask, what do you think I should do? And that's going to be the big question. It could be a parent, it could be a club coach, a PE teacher or anything. You know, there you go. Andrew, I suppose you yourself are as goalkeeper. Have you always wanted to be a goalkeeper? We were only talking about this the other day. It's not exactly the most admirable position on the pitch. Does the most least amount of running anyway? That's about the only thing. Do you know everyone wants to be the full forward? Everyone wants to be out the field, but it's not something that a young kid might be happy. With. Why isn't it not so appealing for a young child? Probably watching lads like him. It's a ping, pinging over pints all the year. Like, I know. Look, I, I think in I've I've heard a few people now say that they, you know, that their their kids are mad to play in goals, but I think they see something happen in a match and they love seeing it and they say, geez, I'd love to be that. Yeah. You know, it's just an instant reaction. But uh, I think it's becoming a small little bit more where I think they get to around the 14, 15 years of an age, uh, they suddenly start to say, yeah, do you know what, I might be able to give it a go. And like you see an awful lot of people that play handball nowadays, well, I see it anyway. And, you know, they're probably built for the position, like, because, you know, if you've got pretty good hands, it's a good starting point for you. Not saying that they can't make it out the field or anything, but that's that, that'd be my belief. I, I think as the games kind of go along and as you get older, you kind of start to appreciate playing more. Mm. Um, I think it maybe, and again, they realise it themselves, if you're not maybe quick enough out the field, you say, if I can be very good here, I might be able to make it. That was definitely my excuse anyway. <laughs> you know. So uh, you played outfield, Andrew? I attempted yeah, yeah, to, Sean yeah, I attempted to, yeah. What Where position? Were you in the forward line or not? Oh, wing forward. Wing catch forward. And just pass it off. That was, oh. the, that was very much the mantra, to be honest. No. Our club now was playing um, kind of in the lower grade, so as it kind of got to maybe 14 to 16, but at minor then I kind of said to myself, look, I just said to the club coach, I really want to be a goalkeeper now, and yeah. I think I need to play in there all the time if I'm going to make the top level of it like so and it took you to be a minor to make that decision do you think that things like rotation of positions of kids in primary school should happen do you know to give everyone a chance should coaching be should there be more of a i suppose a, like a big hype about going goals what do you think of the rotation of players when you're younger what do you sean Og? Uh, like from my experience of talking to goalies the reason why they want to play on goal was because their heroes were goalies mm. more so soccer like Peter Schmeichel is like he's responsible for many people playing on goal for my generation, whether like it's hurling football or because he was a class goalkeeper, they all wanted to be Peter Schmeichel, not necessarily in soccer but in in, in whatever sport kinda so um 
so from talking to people who would have played in goal, it was their idols or their best players that caught the manager. They were goalkeepers, so that steered them towards um, that position. Uh, another fellow just um, he says the goalkeeper will touch more ball than any other person, in it, which is true. And he, he loved the thrill of the buzz of that, so <laughs> he wanted to play on goal. But Andrew was right, and do you know what? Um, would I play on goal? Absolutely not. I, 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 I think you want to be mental, mental, kind of in a good way, which is uh, and then in uh, a good way. <laughs> is, there, is there anything? Is there in a is good there way? Singing a good way, no. We're going to strike. My fair friend Don Oak always tells me, right? My fair, my, my good friend Don Oak says he says um, uh, everyone wants to play on goal except for except for a day of a championship game, and he's absolutely right. <laughs> he's because uh, that's where that's. That's where the boys are sorted from the men. Like, and, uh, when we're playing in Simple Stadium and there's 50 people packed there, all the eyes, oh yeah, not alone, not, not alone to the country, but the world, you. yeah, and everyone being for blood, um, that's where the keeper really earns his sort. Like, and then, and then we used to be giving out to the goalkeepers because when we were doing laps back in the day, and then you see the goalkeepers, I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> it's a goalkeeper's life. <laughs> <laughs> Last back. And then, and then, and then, and then after after a 500 lap, and then like I could hear like Sully Rowan. I said, "Geez, I'd love to be a goalkeeper." And Don Long said, "Yeah, keep running, lads. Everyone wants to be a goalie except the day of the championship." And then we all showed up then after that because basically, like he was he was spot on the money. I get, I was. What about you, Jason? Would you ever go off goalie? No. Off goalie, actually, I played a bit. Did you? Underage, yeah. <laughs> um, my father and all that teams come up along, so like, we would have been small enough clubs so we would have been weakish enough coming up uh, the underage so I think he's nearly played in every position I'd say on the field coming up along so you were a goalie for the the older teams yeah, oh okay yeah that was a good education so yeah kind of like it must have been kind of because you get to see a lot Andrew don't you like yeah, from the back yeah. line that's when I you, you have a good holistic approach kind of looking out where you mightn't have the same vision like as an outfield player yeah, definitely skills and they get to appreciate the position maybe a bit more than if you're just you know if you're playing yeah. in a good club and, and people get into the whole habit of winning and things like that you might you might stay let's say in the one position the whole time you know kind of and not be moving around things like that another thing about goalkeepers man especially in hurling they're so finicky about the hurlies, man. It's just kind of like a hurl. And the slitters. And the slitters. And, and, and the slitters is a yeah. big we, thing. We, we won't mention slitter getting clear yeah. here now. But no word, Andrew, no word of a lie, right? that's what they're We leave Cork. Do. We leave Cork, right? And I sit in the back of the bus with Don Rogue. And then he be... So he'd put new grip every game. <laughs> every game. But not alone that. He'd grip his hurley, right? And he like if, if it was like half an inch, or he'd just take off the grip again. And he pick out another fresh one. Like he must have been sponsored by Caracal. Cause uh, they were yeah, they were the grip yeah. they were the grip makers. I think. Like he used to have a bag. He used to have five hundred Caracals in his bag, right? <laughs> and he grip it. And then I loved gel in my hair, so I couldn't touch his hurlies because if my hands kind of. Are you as are you as finicky as that? Maybe not that extreme. Okay. No, okay. But uh, a message there he left me. He said you never beat him in the alley. No, that's no, right. So yeah, it was yeah. just a message he had actually for me there. Um, <laughs> I think all hurlers are finicky about their hurlies. Jason, would you agree? Well, yeah. Yes, but you, you, you get probably a favourite hurley maker or whatever, and you just stay going. You really like what you know, what you like. So it's definitely just, it's, it is your weapon, really. Like, so you have to have, like it. Have it right. I don't know, the, 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 the shocking revelation there that he was finicky about his hurl, it is you like hair gel in your hair. I thought, <laughs> I thought Sean you'd be more around than that leather down to battle here. <laughs> you won't be worried about the hair gel I'm in your sexual, man. Can I, what can I say? Can I? <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. You're the modern day man. You're an inspiration all around. So <laughs> and we got you sort of the last day in Barber Bob's. Suppose <laughs> 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 another major issue facing modern day coaches in modern day football is the issue of guard evading and child protection. Uh, Jason, I suppose you're like you're a primary school teacher, myself, and you can't do anything nowadays. I know there, it probably you have to have some sort of protection, but you think it's turning off modern day coaches getting involved with with teams. Definitely, I think, yeah, to a certain extent, it's probably gone over the top of small, but, um, like, obviously, you, you have to have those procedures in place or whatever, but, you know, you, you see guys maybe that are, are vetted through their, their profession and then they're having to go get vetted again and then maybe go to an hour or two of a, a course, I know, some of the lads that got, I actually got involved myself this year with the minor team at home and 
and some of the lads were the same and they were having to kind of like, you know, take time off or whatever to get these courses done and things. So you can see why you would be off-putting kind of for, for people. Um, but again, the, the procedures do have to be in place, but if it was kind of worked maybe in a better way, that if they have it done through the profession or what, that would count for it. Yeah, no, I think there certainly has to be a more streamlined, a streamlined option. That, that you, you seem to get vetted everywhere you go at the minute. Sean Oak, what you, what, what's your take on it? You're big into coaching and you're probably have your hands on, it, on, on the pulse with regards coaches getting involved. Um, do you see it as a, an, an issue hindering uh, modern-day coaches getting involved with underage teams? It, it, it could be a problem, but, I mean, it's like... It's, it's, it's becoming a way of life now, you know, kind of like everywhere you go, there's, there's, there's procedures that you need to adhere to. And if that's the case, it, just get it done, right? Because basically, um, and I know it might seem too harsh or too strict, but like, it's just shocking revelations that we're seeing every day, like, um, not alone in sport, but other walks of life. And then one case is too many, like, you know, so like basically, if, if, if it's a procedure that what you call it, everyone needs to bite uh, and to cover yourself will do it, you know, even though it's a painstaking kind of, uh, but I think like, uh, like I may have to go through that vetting process this year, you know, um, so it is there for, if I'm not mistaken, uh, next three, I, I think it's next three, four years, kind of, so kind of, look, once you get it done, get it done, if you're in that position, you know, coaching or you have a responsibility for, you know, um, especially, you know, um, younger kids, just get it done and then, what you call it, um, Look, it's, it's, it's no different to paying your car tax or car insurance. Do you know what I mean? Kinda, well, maybe, well, that, that's probably too simplistic, but everyone needs to, everyone needs to get it done. Yeah, so. no, I certainly agree with you, Sean Oak. You can't, in one case, is one case too many, but I think it could be a bit more streamlined. And probably the fact that you have to get it done maybe three or four times a year for different organizations if you're joining them. Yeah. Maybe that's probably the big issue that I know parents have that I've been talking to, dealing with. Um, but I would agree with you that one case is one case too many. Andrew, what's your, ta what's your take on it? Yeah, look, it is quite strict. I suppose teachers would definitely know more. Um, but I just know from being involved, it's 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 definitely a big thing among among kind of the coaches at home that that's the first kind of stumbling block. And it, personally, back our way, that isn't really the reason. Isn't really the issue. I think um, I don't think you know. I think it's the upskilling of courses and stuff like that. I think that's kind of really where the crucial part is. I think everybody, if they really want to be involved in coaching, it's number one. You get that part done, definitely. But I just think, um, could might sound a bit controversial, but I think the biggest thing for kids is that there's probably plenty of kids and not enough coaches. Now, I'd be the first man to definitely say that any person who comes up to the field and is over a team and gives up their time, you would say hats off. But coaching is now it's it, it's 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 a kind of a form of an extra job you've constantly got to be for different age groups if you're going you've got to do your foundation course your level one level two that brings you up along and obviously if you're involved in an adult level you have to be able to kind of will say okay how can i make this team better it's a constant thinking process this is just this is just my belief like so i think that you'll probably have plenty of kids and i don't think it, like we wouldn't be we wouldn't be where we are definitely not I suppose uh, we wouldn't be riddled with numbers like, but we would have a lot of kids and probably not enough coaches, and that's that's being probably straight up and being honest. No, you're not out of place in saying that, Andrew. I absolutely concur with you. Um, like I, I, I see in my own J club um, where you're just struggling to get coaches involved um, to help out. Um, uh, whether rightly or wrongly, unfortunately, it's like. You, you're trying to nab parents who are dropping off their kids to, to, to fall in, and you know they don't necessarily want to do it, but it's like cradle the grave kind of job. Kind of, you, 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 you just play the spin and say, Look, we can't get anyone. The poor kids are there, they, they, they don't have anyone to coach them, and then, and then the poor parent feels obliged or kind of feels kind of sucked in really to do it, even though they don't want to do it. And then, like in that position, it's, it's pointless going into coaching if your heart is not in it. You know, kind of, it's, it's same as playing. You play it because, okay, grand is grand to win, but like the, the reason you're playing is because it, it's, it's a passion that you want to fulfill. You know, um, uh, you get great enjoyment out of it, and then coaching should be seen the same. But um, it's very hard to get people involved. Like, um, uh, like the classic line, "I'm too busy." 
busy with work. Everyone's busy these days, like, and then no one doesn't kind of. Um, I just think of the I just think of the great coaches that I had on the age, like, like. She's Billy Clifford, like it was a principal. He had 500 kids himself. Um, <laughs> uh, one car. He used to drive all of us. Like, can I? But okay, that's an exaggeration. He didn't have 500. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say, he had a lot of kids, right, himself. But still, he made time, like the course, the likes of myself, and and then, like, I I I I, I definitely benefit from his tutelage and guidance, you know, can I? So. Um, uh, and then that's that's the driving reason why I get involved because I got a great experience from my underage coaches. So I try and replicate that to the young kids, kind of th- that are going through, you know, the gates of our club now. But th- like to be honest, no, it's it's like coaches of a dying breed, especially at the grassroots level. Yeah. Everyone wants to be involved, like kind of yeah. in front, like. Uh, coaching a team like Simple Steam the 1st of July where the gr- you know, where, 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 like uh, where, where there's crowds there and the place is hopping and everything but no one doesn't want to go on a Tuesday night like with a group of six or seven year olds like kind of where there's pissing rain like and then basically you're only given two slitters to work with 50 kids like do you know what I mean so um, uh, that for me is the, they're the real heroes with the, the organisation, but they're a dying breed, like you know. What, Sean, what would you do with two flif- slitters and fifty kids? <laughs> I tell her, I'll throw in the ball and I tell her keep the two hands in a hurry <laughs> and just pull. Wail, <laughs> just wail. <laughs> You're used to whaling. Jason, uh, have you any probably inclination, or how do you think we should, we could, we could encourage more coaches to get involved and par- parents to get involved with with underage setups? I know it can be very difficult, especially w- with every club across the country. Um, yeah, I suppose it's it's hard, um, you know. But if if the parents are you know, able to bring the kids to the field, why not try kind of just get them involved there? And I know at home we're after we're after um, kind of upgrading the facilities there and things. And there's there's a walking track kind of gone around the field, so we had to kind of get the parents there kind of come and do a bit of exercise or whatever and then kind of get involved um, with the kids then once they have that done let's say in the trends and things like that um, but it is as the lads have said it is very difficult to, to, to get people in, involved in it and um, you know, even trying to get it within the schools like you know you've seen a lot of clubs the progressive clubs at home um, a lot of the coaching that's done in the schools is the thing that's actually bringing on the kids because they're the ones that see them every day and they have them every day and if they're getting them hurting at lunchtime and different things I think it brings on kids um, knowing so I think that's another big thing if you can if you can get it in the schools and get get them out and get them active. I think it's, it's a major benefit to, to a club. Yeah, I know. Certainly would agree with that, Christopher. The last there, I suppose. Just moving on there, Andrew. Um, uh, modern day coaches that other outside of maybe GA that you would have looked up to. Um, there must be a lot of them out there, probably that are like Joe Schmidt and that. Um, any coaches that you think probably set a good example for for GA that we we could learn something from. I'm definitely a more defensive-minded coach myself, a kind of a Jose Mourinho type uh, type guy, you know, to be honest. But no, look, Bill Pelichek. Pelichek, yeah. No, I suppose there would there be a couple of uh, people I would definitely say that you know, as regards kind of you know Joe Smith, I think what he's done for Irish rugby is definitely fantastic, you know, and. I think they're ranked number two now in the world and like that's that's phenomenal from where they've co- probably come from but I suppose the huge pressure for Joe Smith is to win the World Cup you know and he'll be judged on that like people will quickly forget about the Six Nations wins and stuff like that but I think as regards getting involved I think Joe Smith and you know especially a guy like Jim McGuinness they'd be kind of guys you'd be saying their attention to detail, they, I, I'd say they're a carbon copy from the point of view of that type of thing. That's one part of the, I suppose, the management life where literally I'd imagine, you know, everything is done down to a minute detail, definitely, among those two guys. That'd be just my own opinion. A lot of people would have said that Jim McGuinness would be de- is detrimental. They're the lasting effect of his legacy has been detrimental to the game. Like, if you look at it, I suppose, the way he's played, he's set up defensively. Only one team has ever won the All-Ireland playing, or that I know of, playing defensively. And I can understand that what you were saying about his attention to detail. Do you think his lasting legacy was that um, 
as a positive or negative effect on the modern game? Look, I think he came at a time when, a, when the Dublin team was just going to be coming and they were going to be, you know, I won't say taking over, but Kerry were there and Dublin were there. And I suppose Jim set up a plan um, and he said, right, how we're going to compete. And he says, I know this kind of, as I said, maybe sounds a bit detrimental, but Jim had a kind of, he, bent, he began with the end in mind. You know, I think he, he developed the system very, very well over two years. And next thing, you know, Dublin got caught that day above and like they, they just couldn't break it down. Look at, and I think for Jim, it, it, it began, you know, possibly developing the Donegal guys into, you know, ferocious kind of work rate and all of that kind of thing, which I think is something that you don't, you either have or you haven't, you can't really put it into a player. Personally, I don't think myself, but, you know, they definitely bought into it, which was absolutely massive. Another guy I would look up to would be next coach Tipperary is definitely Eamon O'Shea. I love the way his teams play. You know, it was not very many cones needed from what I believe. Like, but, you know, I, like you just see guys playing with complete freedom, you know, at the top level. And like uh, we were lucky enough to have him for a coaching session below in our own place. And for a man that did no cones, there was plenty of there was, plen- there was plenty of lads scratching their heads and all kind of wondering. Where do we do? But it was so, we'll say, everything was moving the ball as fast as you can. And he's trying to get players to an elite level. So I would definitely say those three guys, for me anyway, and I suppose you've got two contrasting styles, maybe one slightly defensive, one very attacking, and one then that kind of just sets up and straight up to win. So that'd be that'd be just me. That'd be three guys I would definitely pick anyway. What about you, Sean Oak? Any modern-day coach? Um, You're bigger to the box than any of them that you, you think they could bring something to the GEA world? She's boxing, is it? Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there would have been great couple. Of, there would have been a couple of great boxing courses over there. Gus D'Amato, who would have cut a course daily. Um, you had the guy out of the crank gym there, Emmanuel Stewart. He, he actually coached um, uh, Andy Lee from kind of, but he had Tommy Hitman Hearns in the eighties, kind of. Um, uh, but for me, I stick with an American, Pat Riley. Anyone here of Pat Riley? No, I can't, can't basketball say coach, coach the Lakers. And the reason why I say it was uh, in the 80s, Lakers and Boston had a rivalry in basketball, kind of second to none, right? Kinda, so you had Larry Bird, like, who was playing with the Celtics. He was the main guy. And then you had a fellow, Irvin Johnson, known as Magic. Yeah, yeah. Playing with the, uh, you know, yeah. you, see, you see him in the ads for California, you know, promoting California. But Magic was the ball carrier, right? And then basically Pat Riley, what he did was he pushed his best players to go beyond the boundaries so Magic, who was very tall for a ball carrier, he was very good at like kind of setting up play. But Pat Riley said, "Look, to bring it to the next level, you need to, you need to score on top of ball carrying. You need to score." And then that's what he did. And then basically the Lakers won three championships on the track by pushing his best players to go the extra mile. Okay, so basically, uh, so uh, I, I thought that was a bit of genius because basically, usually the best players egotistically they think like that they can't do more like that they're they're a done deal but the fact that you can kind of push them an extra five percent um uh another coach another course that i would have had good time for was a fellow john nori who would have coached melbourne demons and for the simple reason jim stein's cast melbourne demons a grand final in 1987 and where everyone was being for jim stein's blood john nori stuck with him and then basically what happened after that is, like it's in the history books, and then Jim Stones would always say like that, uh, in, the, in the lift after the function that night, John Nori kind of, Jim Stones made a, he, he made a huge mistake, right? And he said, he said, Jim, don't ever fucking do that again, right? But he said, besides that, you had a great game. And then basically Jim Stones leaving that night kind of, it, it made his career. So, uh, uh, but for me, closer to home, out of all the courses that I've worked under, and I've worked with many kind of great courses of Cork, a fellow that I would have a special go for would be Don O'Grady. Um, for the simple reason, uh, Don was a bit like Pat Riley. Um, he, he he worked extremely hard, right? And he worked your hard to a point that you were snapping, do you know what I mean? Like, and then you just wanted to tell him to F off, do you know what I mean? Kind of, yeah. like, especially like in, but, but you didn't, well, like, obviously you didn't because there was a, there was a respect there. But, um, but, but you saw the, like, you saw the results of it in, in, in the games then. Um, and another reason why I have good time for him is because 
he told you what were you doing wrong, but he told you, like, anyone can tell anyone what they're doing wrong, but no one hardly says, like, can I, well, why don't you try this, that, or another, can I, uh, simple, simple in her, no doing right, the ball coming to the left side of your body, okay, Jason and Andrew would, can I concur with this, ball comes to the left side of your body, majority of hurlers would try and collect that ball with the nose still sticking in the ground instead of leaving the heel of your hurley. Yeah, for each, you know, you leave the heel of your hurley on the ground, the thickest part, where it comes up. So for years, like, for years, I was doing it the wrong way. And the ball was just getting off, especially on a wet day, like, and then basically something like him, like, just, he just mentioned, he says, look, just tweak it, just try that. And another thing as well, right, that I learned, he said, if you're under pressure, playing wing back, he says, the last thing you do is don't hit it anywhere or don't hit it across the field. If you have your back to the play and you have a ball and you have to get a clearance, just go up the same sideline. That stuck me for like years. And he, the reason why he told me was I need another 20 minutes to explain, but Mark, if you're under pressure, lads, play up the same wing. Because people up the field, okay, they're they're naturally going towards that side of the field, right? So if you, have, if you have the ball up that side, at least you have more numbers, where if you give a risky ball across without looking, so you're open to, you know, but like, so like, he started sitting down, doing one-to-ones. That was another thing, like, I, I never had a one-to-one <laughs> with a coach until he came in. Yeah. Um, he's, he's still the same. I sat beside him at most court games this year, and throughout the play he'll be telling me what you're doing wrong and what you should be doing instead Cork yeah. nowadays you know he's still a big advocate for Cork uh, he's a perfectionist as well like which is the dangerous thing in a coach man kind of because they're never happy yeah they're never happy man kind of and then jeez if I see another cornflakes box like and I, that's all I remember my years doing a really pull out a cornflakes box and you know like all the, the training <laughs> all, the, all, all his training like has been laid out in a cornflakes box like right. so we won all Orleans like looking at a cornflakes <laughs> box like, it's kind of okay. no lads we're no milk we're no milk or sugar Andrew's going out to buy all the cornflakes box and kill a little tonight he's going to bring home to Jerry, Jerry and Donald uh, Jason yourself um, any particular coaches that you'd look up there did think that you could add something to your game or bring it to bring it to hurling? Um I suppose I follow the, the NFL um a small oh bit. Um and, and looking at just some, some great coaches there, but I suppose um Bill Belichick has been the one who's kinda set the template Class there. Um and what he's come in and done with the Union Patriots has been phenomenal like and the way he goes about his business as well, you know, like he doesn't he doesn't overpay players. Um he keeps them kind of on an even keel and he's shown like that he's not afraid to get to get rid of lads too if they get too big for their boots like and he's he even done that this year with Malcolm Butler. He dropped him for the for the Super Bowl, like when most of the coaches wouldn't have done. Now they didn't win, but he's done that in previous years, and they have. So, um, you know, just the way he, he has controlled the whole organisation, everything that goes into it, um, and the way players talk about him as well, the attention to detail that he has, um, he'd definitely be one that I'd look at. Um, I suppose closer to home, then just looking at what Jim Gavin has done with Dublin again. That's kind of no nonsense. Like, and I know people kind of call him sometimes said he's boring and things like that, and that doesn't show a lot of emotion in, in interviews and things like that but um you know, to, to do what he's done has been been phenomenal and you can say that they, ha they have all the great players but i think dublin had great teams down through the years as well and they weren't able to get that consistency like to bring that level of consistency to them um, and what they've done like he, he really deserves a lot, a lot of credit and he's one that i definitely look up to like and, and try you could learn anything from him at all yeah, no, I think Jim, what Jim Gavin's done has been nothing short of phenomenal and to get the best out of them players, I think you have to be able to make the big decisions like Bill Belichick and all them kind of things. I think we talked about Rory Gallagher last week as well, Sean Ogg on it, how he did with Seamus Quigley like, and it, it paid off in the end but you have to be, I suppose, stand by your team at the end of the day and you can't have one individual probably rule the roost. Um, just one question I want to ask you, boy, is there's a lot of club teams and not my own club team now, but other club teams are getting guest coaches in uh, this time of the year before championships are revving up. Do you see any benefit in a guest coach coming in or do you think it's uh, it should be just kept the same way or do you think that they can add something to to, to teams coming into championship just for, one, for maybe her one-off session uh i take it when you refer to guest coaches this is like kind of someone that they've brought in kind of for one or two sessions is it like can i yeah um look i think if it helps like like Durham, I, like i personally think most of the donkey work is like if the work getting done come when the cuckoo sings, like, it's, you know, 
Sorry, the cuckoo lads, if you don't know what a cuckoo is, it comes out in the summertime. You hear it kind of, especially out in the bog there, anyone couldn't kind of... Um, uh, so, uh, so if, like, so most of the donkey work is done, right? Kind of coming up, and then basically all they're looking to do is like, just an increase, something, something extra, an increase, maybe a different voice, just to mix it up, you know? Um, I'd be all for it, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'd be the same. Look, at I think there's some club teams that probably go with a system where they possibly can't get a coach and they have a guy for maybe a few weeks and another guy for another few weeks. and That kind of happens, but I think I'd be very much against that particular thing now from the point of view. I think you, whatever coach you have, he sits down with his management team, they play to a plan that they think that this team can actually execute, number one. Um, but I think definitely a coach coming in, and as I said, if it's maybe two, three weeks out from championship, Definitely, you know, it's I, I would I would honestly be all for one or two sessions. But as I said, I don't think they deviate away from what you're trying to achieve. Definitely not. And just a different voice. And I think in a club setup, definitely, it makes a huge difference for guys because you suddenly have 28 in the field then, like, you know, if they hear that this lad is coming, what's this lad about? And, you know, that it definitely increases the numbers and the focus. I think the buy-in, like I was just saying earlier on, the night we did, and I should be 34 lads there, like, you know, that's the... You know that that was the thing, and they were just delighted to see him. Like, and it's just it's just things like that. It's excellent. It's a great novelty as well. Like, you know. Jason. Yeah, no, I'd be in agreement with the, with the two lads. Um, even around club there, around Stephen, we were we were training. We actually had um a different coach in from from Tarlow Paddy McCormack. Um, and again, it just kind of brings a bit of a buzz around the place as well. Like, um, lads kind of look forward to going down, and you know you can get maybe a small bit stale listening to the same voice, um, and just something to, to kind of shake it up a bit. Um. It can be good for lads and kind of give them a bit of freshness as well. So, and we're still at that bit out from championship as well. That you're not going to affect different tactics or game plans or things that you're working on. So yeah, I think it can can work in, in things like that. You don't yeah. like it, Dorn, do you? No. I I, I, I sometimes I, I don't I see the yeah. I suppose anytime we've got the coach in, I didn't, just didn't see the benefit in it. Yeah. yeah. Now you can see where it give a lift to a team maybe over a night or two. But when you're talking about the consistency, it, I think if the coaches are and the manager are doing doing their thing and uh, they're steadfast in what they're doing and you have the right people involved I don't see the benefit in bringing in obviously um, what Andrew said there if they're consistent with what the manager is doing that's fair enough but a man coming in probably just um, obviously you'll have to brief them before you come in what, how you want to play and that kind of thing um, and uh, as Jason said there if you're far enough from championship maybe you can see but if two or three weeks out from championship I just don't see the benefit of bringing in a coach for one night I think if the players aren't hungry at that stage or don't are not as you said when the cuckoo sings and if they're not ready for action yeah, yeah. I don't see how an outside manager maybe I think you're just probably papering over the cracks that could be there already maybe um, um, that, that's where I'd be coming from it um, w one more thing I want to ask I think uh, Valerie's a few questions there she wants to get on to Jason and ask him all, all things Tipperary but um, when, a, when a coach goes into a job do you think they should have their maybe tactics set seeing as we're talking all things coaching tonight uh, before they win or should their tactics be based on the players at their disposal uh, Sean Oak uh, my gut feeling is uh, it should be based on what he has there first so basically he shouldn't have any preordained kind of way he wants to play it that um, uh, so he'd he'd weigh up or he'd wise up fairly fairly lively, you know, the, uh, like the players that he has, what kind of strengths they have, and then basically probably shape a game plan around that, as opposed to going in because it's pointless kind of doing a running game. <laughs> if if you're trying to induce a running game, where fellas VO2 max is like down bottom rock, you know, like a rock bottom, like, you know, kinda, so you need to be, you need to be well conditioned, you need to be very fit, um, especially your guys in the, the middle three lines, you know, particular, like, uh, I'm, I'm only just using that as an example, right, or pointless if you want to go long ball and you don't have a tall timber guy up there, do you know what I mean, like, kind of, either winning it or breaking it down for, um, so, uh, so if I was in that position, I'd, 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 I'd see what kind of, Players are at my disposal, and then basically work it out after that. It's usually after it's usually three hail marys, and then <laughs> and then and then that's the game plan. Say three hail marys, and all is cured. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, uh, I think yeah. Look at I think there's a manager goes in and look at he has his own identity. You know, every coach has their own identity or manager how they want to play. Number one, the players definitely at their disposal. It has to turn around and they have to be able to say, look, I can buy into it. Am I going to get the most out of it? I don't know. But I think in the skills of definitely hurling, 
you know, to win your own ball, you're no matter where you play and no matter what system you do, you are going to be able to have to do that anyway. You are going to have to be able to tackle. You're you're going to have to be able to hook and block. Like the basics still stand, but definitely as regards the way you play. I think some teams, yeah, look at you see teams with a sweeper, it works for some teams, it doesn't work for others, you know, and I just think like definitely 100% that if a manager buys into it and their players say, yeah, look, we'll roll with it, I think you're definitely 90% there and the rest of it is fine-tuning. Um, probably, I suppose, maybe at club level, I think you have, you know, as I said, maybe the stronger teams that can probably play any way you like, but you have to be able to counteract it, but... I think if you know maybe if you were taking on someone like Turles Arsfield or someone like that, if you 100% try stop them, then I don't think you have a hope of winning the game because you're just saying to yourself, we'll try and keep the score down. There has to be you know that kind of a game of chess that's over and back like so that'd be for me anyway. Just on that, Andrew, do you think uh, tactics have become more prevalent in hurling over the last couple of years? Maybe I think there was a stage, maybe, I don't know, Sean, when you were playing, it was kind of win your own battle, whereas there seemed to be introduction, probably of the Waterford system last year and a couple of things, uh, the sweeper system. Um, do you think tactics in hurling have become more prevalent in the last couple of years as, as opposed to football? Yeah, it has. Look, there is. There's no doubt, no doubt about it. With the way teams prepare, you know, you've. I, I think I, I'd be maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Jason probably have a different view. Maybe, but the middle eight or from your half hour line back, they just seem to be playing like right backs and left backs in soccer. It's just up and back, up and back. Like a full forward could have to go off out the field, middle of the field, and chase a guy. So I think it's definitely it, it's it's ingrained into you in this game now that if you don't have the ball, I must do something to turn it back, you know, or I must be into, involved and I can't rest and. You, you don't, you saw, you saw that in the games, you've seen that in the games, that any player that possibly has a chance to stand up, it's more than likely the fact that he's been taken off. That's probably the reason, but you just don't get those chances now. So I would honestly definitely say that tactics, yes, but I think the, the fundamentals of the game will always stay the same. If you can do the basics right, like winning your own ball, tackling hard, who can block on your manager's dream and you're a long way towards winning the match? Yeah, I, I think, um, just to add to that, I think the, the fitness levels of players, I think, is after going through the roof in the last 10 years, really, because, like, you see the stats down, the, the GPS that some lads are, are pulling off, like, and it's it's ridiculous stuff. Um, and, and as Andrew said there, the, the middle eight, like, I, I honestly think wing forward now in the modern game is the, the hardest position to play because you're expected to be right back when the ball is down, they're like going way back to and, and work. And then once the ball comes up, you're expected to be at the other end and you're expected to score and do all this work. So I just think um, you know, out around there in, in, in that middle third, like you're, there's, there's an awful, awful lot expected of you and um, you have to be, be super, super fit for it. So um, I think the fitness levels is, is another big thing that's playing into all of that as well. Great stuff. Thanks, Les. Um, I think Valerie's a few questions there to ask Jason there. Um. Jason, it's fair to say, I suppose, it hasn't been the best week for you, I suppose. Um, Look, it's, I suppose the hardest thing to believe is that Tipperary is out the second week in June. Like, even for yourselves, even for everyone around Ireland, I think that is the big shock. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we definitely didn't see it going this way, but um, I think that's down to the, the quality of the team in, in, in Munster as well, you know. You know, there's going to be four, four massive games, like, um, and I suppose it's just losing the first one kind of puts you on, on the back foot straight away and it kind of puts us under a bit of pressure. And then, you know, we just... We, did, we didn't show up in, in, in the Cork or Waterford game for, for long periods of it and, and left ourselves with a lot to do. Um, and then in fairness to Clare, like we, we, were, we were leading for most of that game, but they, they came back very, very strong near the end and probably deserved to win it for a finish. But um, yeah, it's just it's massively, massively disappointing, but we just have to go away and look at things and, and try to come back stronger for next year. What do you make of the whole new structure, I suppose, in the championship now? It, it, some people would think that it kind of affected you having four on the trot. Do you think something like that was hard on, the, I suppose, the physicality, the everything in the team? You need a f- you need more than 15 now in something like this. I suppose all, all those kind of things, excuses, I suppose, is, is what you could call them. I suppose they're, they're going to be thrown around now. But, um, do you know, if we, if we had to win the first game and things run differently, everyone would say that it was all momentum and tipper building and things like that. Um, maybe you, you might look next year if they, if they looked at it maybe given that each team would have a week break within it that if they started at the same time as the Leinster Championship that every team might get that week break you know somewhere within the instead of playing four in a row but again I think that's only, only small things as well um, but yeah just uh, we just didn't play well enough in the games I think and that's really what it comes down to I suppose speaking about coaching a few minutes ago we'll move away from the Tipperary game uh, coming in one school I was there the other day I suppose something like that is amazing for I suppose the te- youth coming up did you yourself play in something like that when you were younger 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's, it was actually just going around to some of the schools um, today, and, and some of them had competed in it, and you know the, the excitement that it brings to, to the kids and things like that. Um, and we would have competed in as well when, when I was back in primary school, and it's really a real one day as well, and to get to have a run out in Central Stadium, um, and you know that's what every kid's dream is of uh, at that age. So, um, no, they're brilliant, really brilliant run competitions. So the longer they continue, the better. And as we were talking about the, the coaching earlier on, you know that's bringing it back to the schools again, and it's bringing all these kids on and, and giving them exposure. So it's great. I met um, Len Gaynor there the other day. Two of his grandchildren were playing. Unfortunately, they lost in the tears, obviously. It was literally like an All-Ireland final to them. Mm. You can totally understand, as you said, it's a day out in Simple Stadium. I suppose, literally, it was like being in an Ireland final because they were dropping to the floor, bawling when they'd lost, you know, <laughs> under 11. And I was like, oh, sure, God, help us. And you can only run out to a few of them, you know. Yeah. But then the ones cheering and roaring, getting the, I suppose, the plaque. But, like, it starts at a young age, this disappointment, you know. You, it does, like... Definitely, yeah, and it's um, just even like going in, talking to, to some of the kids and, and um, in some of the schools, you know, you, you kind of, you know, you get that point kind of across that, you know, that is sport, unfortunately, someone has, has to lose and um, unless you're like, um, you know, the Greg Kilkenny team that went by, you're probably going to have more losses in your, in your career than you are going to have wins, so you have to be able to deal with that as well and, and move on from it and take the learnings from it um, and just try and get better then each time you come back because as I said like you're on, unless you're, you're very very lucky you're not going to win more than you lose so you have to just, just accept it um, I suppose in my own calculations now this could be completely wrong I was at every single Tipperary game league and championship and in the league you had scored 7.72 this year alone and in the championship you had where am I 3.39 so in total you had 10 goals and 11 points between the league and championship this year that is I mean like can we all just take a moment yeah. to take that in I know that's you're, you're going to be humble about it now <laughs> and you're not going to, you know, I totally understand you're going to sit there and be like, why is she asking me how much yeah. sport? But I just want to point out, this is me taking all the scores of the games. This is me watching you at every match, seeing what you're doing. And like... Someone else needs to jump in here. 10, uh, 10 goals, 111 points in the last few games, like this year alone. Can you take any personal solace from that? Or do you, is it... Do you think it's all based around team team effort? Like, um, no, it is very much based around around the team. But um, I suppose from a personal point of view, like it's it's a poles apart from where it was last year. You know, um, like I like was barely making the team last year and things, and then getting brought on and taken off in in the All Ireland semi final. Like it's probably it's one of the most embarrassing things I suppose that can happen to a player. So I had a lot of soul searching to do o over the winter, and even in terms of whether I was actually going to come back or not. Um, so I had to make, make a big decision on that w whether I was or I wasn't um, I suppose and then just to, to come back and kind of take it game by game and just really really enjoy it like you know take it for, for what it was and, and just make the most of it and you know getting settled in the team and things like that probably helps so just kind of took it game by game from there just what in the name of God did you do over the winter to be scoring yeah. this much yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's the secret <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, I, I, I can't kick a point in gear like a little <laughs> 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 we won't mention that. Just on that, like it must have took serious, um, probably putting your own personal ego aside to be brought on, taken off in a game, and then come back and have probably. I know you're probably disappointed the way things ended with Tipperary, but to score ten um, and one hundred eleven, a serious going. Had you serious motivation for this year, or was it probably just the way things worked out? Um, yeah, no, I definitely had. Um, I suppose as I said I had a good bit of soul searching to do, and you know, I, I bounced off a few people, and even at home, my my father probably be my biggest supporter, you know. And, Probably one that that coached me all the way along and different things like that, and he'd be very kind of level-headed about things. So just had to, I went to that and kind of asked him in, in the weeks after, and he just he said whatever decision I wanted to make, he'd be he'd be more than happy with it. And just if I wasn't happy in it, that not not to stay doing it. And I suppose I just took a bit of a break and then decided that I was going to go back and make sure that I, I gave it everything. And then you know if it didn't work out again this year, at least you could say that you had no stone left unturned and that you could you could, you could walk away then, you know, knowing that that you couldn't have done anymore, you know. Had, had Michael Ryan talked to you over the winter, or was it just your own personal decision, or was he on to you after after that? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah, he he did. He he texted me um, actually to meet the, the management. I think it was around November, I'd say, um, in in the hotel in Ina. Like he hadn't really done that in, in other years, so I was kind of thinking, Jesus, is he going to tell me here now? I'm I'm gone. Like, and, and <laughs> this is this is it. I might have to make a decision <laughs> when I'm coming back or not. Um, but no, it was just we had a very honest meeting in, in November and he kind of laid out what, what he thought I needed to improve on and different things and I kind of hopped the ball around as well and gave a few things back that I thought um, from my own point of view and 
just it was a really honest conversation, probably something that, that needed to happen, and it just kind of steamrolled from there, and they, they kind of put the confidence and the faith in me then, when, once the league and things started, and they seen that the, the work that had gone into it. It's like, it's like the Barry's tea ad, isn't it? <laughs> 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 we, won't, we won't mention Davy Fitzgerald either. Hey, I think <laughs> if memory serves me correctly, I think it was you that was involved in the altercation with him, was it? It was, it was yeah, it was, it was. Um, unfortunately, I think... The, some of the kids, even when you go around summer camps, they, they would let you forget <laughs> that one. So I've had that question thrown at me a couple of times now. Uh, typical clear man yeah. getting in the way of wrestling, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Davey's a great fella, really. <laughs> you know. um, I know, look, at, uh, I'd have to say credit him there. Uh, he's had a fantastic year, you know, um, looking at him. Even the good few of the Clare lads played with him in the Fitzgibbon there. And, you know, they spoke in awe of him at the way he was. And, you know, I think um, <clears throat> I think it's great. It's great when you get a chance to play with so many good teams. You know, you won the Fitzgibbon at, I suppose, your ease, kind of, and you kind of carried on from there. And lucky enough, I wasn't probably playing a goal against you. Or I, you might you yeah. might have chalked <laughs> up a goal against me as well. He's so. a nightmare forward for you. Denied, definitely, yeah, definitely. I know, but as regards, I suppose, taking on the mantle when, I suppose, James Callanan was injured, it's probably not an easy thing to do, but did it fantastically well and great credit to you over the year. Sean um, when I look back at the 2018 Championship, the one thing that will stick long in my memory, and I know we're only even halfway during the Championship, is that goal that you scored against Cork, like when Tipper were totally out of it in the first half. Like, I, I was at home watching it. Did you recall that goal he scored against? And to, like, you, you, you just pick up a break, oh, and yeah. when a blink of an eye, the ball was gone. Anthony Nash was bending his back, picking up the ball, and then I was on the coast. Said, I, I, I must rewind that. Did I miss that? Like, it just happened. But that goal for the, oh my God, like the wrist work, the, like, the Leroyty to go for it from that distance, but the wrist work, like, and Nash is a fairly good keeper, lads. I'm telling you, know, people find it hard to beat him from 10 yards, but you were like 20, 25 yards old. Phenomenal, uh, but like your scoring efficiency this year, man, was just second to none, and the and the figures stack it up. I I I, I didn't realise that you had you, you had demons over last winter and the heart to heart whether you were going to get involved this year or not. But like everyone, everyone wants to be a winner. But like basically, this is a this is a pure example of adversity. Do you know what I mean? Where your career is on the line, and in the country, I know at a young age. And then you either sink or swim, or you dig deep. And then you probably knew no, and you deep in it. You probably knew in your hearts and hearts you weren't going to give it up. Like you know, like can I, you had it in you to get back and do it. And then like that for me is a bigger story. Do you know what I mean? Can I, a guy literally he's on the floor being knocked out. Everyone's writing him off, and he comes back and he has that season, man. Can I? So well done to you, boy. Right? And then uh, did you say this is your first season? Can I like? Starting kind of continuously, continuously, yeah. yeah. Um, do you know the, the other seasons I've kind of been been in and out of the team. Do you know you might start a game or two here and there, and then yeah. been in and out of it. So, no, yeah, first proper season, you know. And I think it was time kind of for me to, to step up to two. I've been I've been <laughs> in, in knocking around the panel since 2013. So, do you know it, it's a long time to be there too. And uh, and it's funny, Jason. Now your story kind of resembles a small bit of Jerry O'Connor that I play with from Newtown. Like but, uh, like so he was he his twin brother Ben. Like Ben was a star from day one, and he what you call it? Uh, ben played on the Cork senior team straight away from the get go. Jerry was in and out, in and out for a couple of years, in and out, kind of, Donald Grady gives him a full stab one season, and then the man just never looked back, do you know what I mean, like, so, um, uh, and then you're after going through that this year, so, upwards and onwards, fine, kind of, well done in a great year, and may, may you have many more, except for one condition, that, when you do, when you do play against the guys from Red and White, just don't score goals like that ever again, right? But, uh, but, but if it's against if it's against the stripey guys back in Amma, by all means, but you, have, you have my permission. You have my permission to score 10, 20 of them, by by, by all means. But um, and look, I know it's been a tough week for Tipperary. Like like you, I'm still pinching myself. I still think of Chrissy Ring. Chrissy Ring always said, like, t uh, the J without Tipperary be only half dressed. And that's the Cork's best ever greatest hurler, saying that about, uh, saying that about Tipperary. And it is going to be strange not seeing Tip, but the reason why Tip have 29 All Irelands, is it? Are you 20? You're 28 or 29, anyway. The reason is not because you've won it, because they've bounced back from barren years. And then, lads, mark my words, lads. I know a lot of people are jumping up and on because Tipper not involved this summer. But the time you watch, the time, the time, the time you watch for Tipperary is the time like when they're hurting. 
because I speak from experience, lads. I, I, I've been there. You don't want to meet a Tipperary team that's coming back on a rebound because basically uh, more times than not, you're passing a horse and jockey with your head between head <laughs> and your tail between your legs right, after, uh, after hammering. So look, Tipperary group, lads, no doubt, they'll be back. History, like history has, history has taught us that that's been the case and then it will be the case so Jason just to take up your said you've been on the panel since 2013 and I suppose we all know them people who are kind of on the panel on the periphery of it and on and off the teams probably in the league and don't make an impact on uh, uh, in championship like you have done this year is there any changes you've made over the winter as regards training as regards your diet as regards probably um, the way you've conducted yourself outside of that that probably helped you make that change yeah definitely um, I suppose getting out living in college too makes a, makes a big difference um but no, like, you know, at the end of every year when, when you finish off the county, um, you, you don't really know what, what the story is with management or you don't know what the story is with the backroom team. So sometimes it can be hard to go and get, you know, stuff from the, new, the dietitian things because you don't know if they're going to be there. And then, you know, they're only working off whatever. Like, they're, like, they're not going to go and do a full personal. That's the way it is in Tippin. They're not going to go and do full personalised. I, um, I went away and last year and I worked with um, a PT in, in Nina. Um, he came kind of well recommended and he was in there after opening up a new new gym inside. Um, top class gym now in fairness. Um and I worked with him then for, for, for the winter months. He, he kind of set out a whole plan, um, something from different that I, that I would have been usually doing in, in the off-season. And I just kind of took into that. I was, I was on teaching practice at, at home, so I was in a routine of you know, being up early in the morning and into school and then into the gym in the evening times and things like that. Um, and I suppose some of the, the, the last couple of seasons I've struggled big time with, with, with hamstrings um, between playing in the colleges and playing with, with, with tipping the league and things. And overload and things like that the, the hamstrings just seemed to go they were kind of a weak point for me and it seems to go most years and you could miss four or five week, weeks at a time and that sets you back especially when you're not an established player like that kind of sets you back an awful lot and it can be it can be hard to get back into the team then so i made them kind of a, a focal point that i was going to try to build those up um and touch wood you know th- th- this year i've i've had that the, the body stayed healthy and i think i've played every every game for for tipping the league um and in, in the championship and played all those minutes so so the, the body has held up well and, and I can only put that down to, to that trend in, in the winter because like, you don't get a chance really in, in season like when the matches are coming and Andrew probably tell you that as well like that you don't really get a chance to, to, be, to be doing as much gym work because you're trying to stay fresh and things like that so I think the, the bulk of the work needs to be done from November to, to February or October to February really th- th- That's an unbelievable achievement and I suppose it, the fact you just stayed healthy all year is a, a credit to yourself too and it's, it's all about consistency I think if anyone can stay consistently fit it uh, probably makes a, m- makes, a, m- makes a big difference and can you get, get, get your leg up and Just one more I suppose Jason now you've the summer to yourself have you any plans are you going to is America appealing to you at all? Or? Sorry before he goes any further, he's to come to my camp actually. We've that sorted yeah. before she asks you that question. Is that all right? Is it? Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Putting his camp aside for a second now. Have um, you any plans there? No, I, I, I thought about it after the match. I, I actually had a few lads kind of on that, that I know that, that are abroad in America. Um, great lads that are involved with, with the hurling teams there. And they, I kind of put the feelers out to see would, it, would I be interested in coming out. But... Um, I just felt that, you know, especially after having probably my best season with Tip to to go out to America now and leave the club kind of high and dry wouldn't be wouldn't be something that that I'd be willing willing to do. Um, and plus I had a few commitments here made already with the, a few other things as well. So I had a few commitments made that that I didn't want to be be breaking either. So I'm happy enough to to stay here and get away with the with the missus on a holiday and the few different things that that I can do, concerts and different things that maybe other summers you mightn't get to do. So um, there'll still be a lot to to, to do here at home. So I, I, don't, I won't feel like I'm missing out on uh, You're in Westmead from the 2nd to the 5th of July with the Sports Talk Summer Comp and RK Sports involved as well. Um, what, what can players, I suppose, turn up and pupils turn up to expect from that camp? Yeah, um, I think it's going to be, be a great camp. Um, the lads have put together some, some really top-class stuff within it. Um, Jodder is going to cater for, for younger kids and older kids. Um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to differ maybe from normal camps that, that kids might go to in terms of like they're going to be talking about nutrition and flexibility, strength and conditioning and all that kind of stuff, um, which I think is, is going to massively help players. And you know, you even see it with, with players back home in the club and around um, in different clubs, the ones that kind of are getting exposure to that kind of things are the ones that are nearly hitting the ground, ready to play senior at 17, 18 years of age. Um, so I think that's coming massively into the game. So the, the quicker they can get the exposure to that, I think the better. So 
just really looking forward to, to getting involved there. Yeah, runs for four days. I'm delighted to say he's not going to America anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I run one for four days, and it was <coughs> I'm delighted I was brought on to talk about the coaching part. Uh, I run it from, we'll say, it's about five to sixteen, and uh, to be honest, the main goal of it is there's two there's two reasons for it. I went up to the field. I'd say it must be about two three years ago now, and uh, the reason for it was I, I looked out onto the field. We were training at half seven with the club, and literally we've two pitches that are side by side, and you just see over 100 kids just scattered everywhere and I just said to myself I'd love to be able to give them something to do for even a week or four days so like the cool camp is ran for us at the start of the summer so there's kind of maybe six seven weeks where they're just idle and I just kind of said to myself I'd just love to be able you know there's good focus groups uh, RK Sports make an appearance as well so um, but it's it, it's down Not to that joke. and at the, at the end of the day it, at the end of the day it's, it is about fun you know so the likes of Jason and them guys and you know, we've had Joe Canning in previous years and looking for his name to be on, you know, six year olds hurley, it's you know, it's part of the week and that's that's what I kinda really like seeing at the end of the week. Look at if kids learn and they learn a good system and everything like that, great. So the weakest part of our club unfortunately would be from twelve to sixteen, maybe thirteen to sixteen. So for four days they get, you know, top class guys coming down to them from all over the country and hopefully it kinda takes off from there well that's it for this week's on Sports Talk and our Super 8's podcast brilliant been joined by picking the brains of Jason Ford Andrew Fahey once again Sean Og and delighted to have joined by Valerie Wheeler here um, and I suppose fantastic been here in the lakeside and getting to meet people in person as well fantastic location certainly would recommend it to anyone who, who's thinking of bringing their other half away for a weekend uh, until next week until you tune in again Gunnairi and Talib thanks very much